Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need. I'm going to throw out some brands for you here. Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, Dolce Vita, Levi's, Lacoste. I could go on. Shop summer's must-haves, summer dresses, match sets. I love a match set. Love a match set. Yeah, I know. Volume sleeve tops. What? Give it some volume. Espadrilles, wedges, straw, crafted bags, and so much more. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. If you love tequila cocktails, then check out the award-winning 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. It's a -a one-of-a-kind tequila that is infused with the juice of real fruit. So it's smooth, it's not sweet, it smells fresh and bright, and it tastes incredible. 21 Seeds makes the most delicious and easy margaritas and cocktails so you can focus on the fun, like game night with your besties. With 21 Seeds, you only need two or three ingredients to make your perfect cocktail. Try 21 Seeds Infused Tequila. Learn more at 21seeds.com. Enjoy responsibly. 21 Seeds. Diageo, New York, New York. I'm Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. And now we're doing the Ultimate Office Rewatch podcast just for you. Each week, we will break down an episode of The Office and give exclusive behind-the-scenes stories that only two people who were there can tell you. We're The Office Ladies. Hello and welcome back to Office Ladies. This week, we are breaking down The Job Part 2. It's the season three finale, second half, written by Paul Lieberstein and Mike Shore, directed by Ken Quapis. Last week, we interviewed Paul Lieberstein, a.k.a. Toby, about this episode. It was great. So fun. So fun to talk to him. Well, this week, we're going to break down the second half, and I've got a summary to catch us up. Well, Jenna, you know I can't wait to hear it, so. I know. Now, do you really like my summaries, Angela, or is this, I are you patronizing I actually really me? do. Now, that probably sounded like I was being some BFF sass to you, but I actually really do because you're so good at summarizing them. I think you might have missed your calling as like someone who writes the caption for movies, you know, like the, oh, yeah. the little the thing slogan. that comes up on your TV guide. Yes. Yes. I think you could have been that person. Except for look who's talking. (laughs) (laughs) That made me laugh out loud. I know, I gotcha. y'all heard. Okay, so give us a summary. All right. Last week, we discussed how Michael got back together with Jan after she revealed her breast enhancement. He named Dwight as his successor to Dunder Mifflin because he was so sure he was going to get this job at corporate. But I have just pause one second here. Is that even Michael's decision to make? We did not talk about this. I mean, if Michael gets the job at corporate, is he allowed to just say who gets the manager job at Dunder Mifflin Scranton? No, no, absolutely not. I'm sure that's like a corporate decision where they like have an overview of all and, you know, all the employees. I'm sure Michael gets to put in his recommendation as someone that worked in that branch. But ultimately, that would be David Wallace's decision. Thank you. I feel like we failed to discuss that last week and I needed to bring it up. Well, I gotcha. Done and done. All right. So also last week, Dwight interviewed Andy to be his number two and Jim and Karen left for New York. Mm-hmm. This week... Pam is going to become Dwight's secret assistant to the regional manager. 
We will see Michael, Jim, and Karen all interview for the position at corporate, and we will ultimately find out who gets the job. Yes. There's some relationship stuff thrown in there, too, but you know. There's a little bit, (laughs) isn't there, of relationship stuff. All right. Fast fact number one, fan question from Maddie Jensen. I noticed that Ken Quapis directed the finale for season three, along with the finale of season two. Both episodes are crucial to the Jim Pam plotline of the show. Was this an intentional decision to have the same director in charge of these important episodes? Or was it just a happy accident? Well, this was very intentional. I'm so glad you said that because I was sitting here and I wasn't sure. I was I was like, what is she going to say? And I was like, I hope it was thought out because Ken was so caring about the different dynamics and relationships on the show. He had been with us since the pilot. We had such a trust for his vision. And if you were about to say, it was just a scheduling thing, I was going to be like, no. <laughs> no, I traded some emails with Kent Zabornak, and he told me that he and Greg always wanted Ken Quapis to direct milestone episodes. So season openers, season closers, or any episodes with big story movement, especially if they involve Jim and Pam. He wasn't always available, but that was the intention. And if you look back, Ange, you'll see that oftentimes it was Ken Quapis, Greg Daniels, Paul Feig, or Paul Lieberstein who would direct these big milestone episodes, which makes sense because those guys were kind of the original team of visionaries for the show. And they were with us since the first season. Yeah. So they knew every character's journey. And and I think that was super important. That was sometimes a learning curve for new directors. If they hadn't seen every single episode, they would come in and maybe not understand why a character was making a certain choice. And I remember the cast would sometimes just bring them up to speed. Oh, I did. <laughs> Yeah, I remember I was in the scene. I forget who the director was, but they were like, so let's have Angela over there like cutting the meat or something. It was like a, a party episode. And I was like, oh, she wouldn't touch that meat. She's a vegetarian. She wouldn't She wouldn't go near it. Yes. <laughs> and they're like, yes, oh, exactly. okay, I guess I'll put you over there by the bag of chips. I'm like, yes, that's better. Exactly. So this created a really nice sense of consistency for those big episodes to bring people back who knew us all so well. All right, fast fact number two. This is a fan question from Beatrix Smith, Brooke B., Amelia C., Erica P., and Subha Nanduri. Did the conversation at the beach between Jim and Pam that we see throughout this episode, did it have to be recreated like the kiss on Casino Night? Or was it a deleted scene that was added later without audio? What's the story? Well, guys, this was a new scene, Mm -hmm. but we knew about it when we were shooting beach games. So we shot this during the beach games shoot. We did not have to go back to the dam. Oh, yeah. We couldn't get that location again. So they shot it while we were there. And Jenna, I remember that they brought Ken Quapis to direct that. So and that was actually very common. That wasn't like anything weird to Harold Ramis. That was really common on a show. If you had a cross board moment where you had a scene that was in another episode, the director of that episode would come and direct that to sort of complete their story. So Ken came back and Jenna... I read that this was supposed to be in the beginning of the show, like the cold open. 
Yes, just like that jump from Casino Night to Gay Witch Hunt, we were going to originally open this episode. The cold open was going to be watching this scene between Jim and Pam on the beach. I'm so glad it wasn't that way. I think it creates so much more tension. Yeah. To leave it until later as a flashback. And, you know, Jenna, it it really did add to the tension because... Now we know as the audience that they had had this moment. And so when Pam is saying goodbye and good luck and all of that, it's layered with this moment that they shared at Beach Games. And I love that our show did this. Our show didn't always just spoon feed the audience. It just had them like sort of pick up in the middle. And I and I just loved it. Me too. Me too. It was during the editing process that they decided to take it out of the cold open and put it later. Dave Rogers said in the DVD commentary that it was Mike Schur's idea to make it a flashback later in the episode. I love that. I know. He's so smart. He's such a smarty. Fast fact number three, Angela, I'm staying consistent today. It is a fan question from Faye B., Kayla Moffat, Tiffany L., Brianna K., and Rowena C. Did John and Rashida actually film in New York and how much of the crew was with them? Yeah, guys. Yeah. They went to New York for one day of filming. We were so envious whenever anyone got to go anywhere because we, we never got to go on big trips. But this was a skeleton crew and they went to New York. Yeah, we actually wrapped filming in Los Angeles on March 28th, 2007. They did not go to New York to pick up the Jim and Karen scenes until April 19th of 2007. So we had been wrapped for the season for a little while. Wow, I didn't know that. That was from Kentopedia. Of course, he's going to give us those details. He's uh-huh. Kentopedia. He's Kentopedia. Well, the people who went were Greg, Paul, Mike Schur. Kent, Randall, our DP, our camera assistant, Chris Workman, and our sound mixer, Ben. Now, they talked about this a little bit on the DVD commentary about how they had to sort of do that guerrilla shooting, you know, like they were sort of sneaking around filming in little spots where they could. And John jokingly called Greg covert Greg because like Greg, Uh Greg would have a note, but he wouldn't want to talk directly to him. So he'd be like, like he would act like he was passing by or he would send Kent Sabornak with his kid. Kent's kid was with him and they would walk across the street and nonchalantly kind of tell John a note. And then so it looked like they were just people, pedestrians in, in Manhattan. Amazing. Because they I guess they didn't want people to notice that they were filming because all those people became background people. They didn't want to draw attention to John and Rashida, I guess. They had seen what happened when people like, realized Steve was being filmed, right? Yeah. Well, they had a tight day. Kent told me they filmed in nine different locations around New York City, all in that one day. And they hired a local crew to fill out the production for hair, makeup, wardrobe, grips, electric drivers, craft service, and set production assistants. They had to come up with a little mini New York crew. But that's how we did it. I love it. I love it. Here's one other little piece of trivia. Rashida and John said that they wore their own clothes for all the scenes in New York City. That makes sense to me. Yeah. 
I also thought they looked really cute. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I like Rashida has great taste and, and John is cute. And they, they look like they look like normal people, not like, you know, the Dunder Mifflin folks. Here's some tidbits. Ready? Okay. Kinsey tidbits. Kinsey tidbit from the DVD commentary. John said that there was like this kind of drunk guy while they were filming in the restaurant and he kept coming up to them and he's in a white shirt. So if you see it, 1934, there's a guy standing there sort of next to John and he was like, what are you guys doing? And John sort of was like trying to keep it like, you know, he didn't want to draw attention to it because they were filming from like across the street, you know? Yeah. Through the window. Yeah. So he was like, oh, you know, man, we're just doing a scene. He's like, oh, you're doing a scene. You're doing a scene. (laughs) Like He was like, buddy, come on. So they were, and he said that he like, this guy like heckled them through that whole moment. That is crazy. I know. Listen, lady, should we take a quick break? And then when we come back, we can start breaking down the job part two. Yeah, let's do it. All right. We'll be right back. So this winter, we went on a little ski trip with another family and we got an Airbnb, which was so wonderful, right? Because... You can make your own breakfast in the morning. We could even go there for lunch to warm up. Listen, I always want a kitchen with kids. Yep. I don't want to call room service for some sliced apples. I want to have my groceries. I need a kitchen. Yes. Well, this is why doing the Airbnb thing was so perfect. Yep. Well, this family we were staying with told us that they listed their house on Airbnb back in California. Oh, that's so smart. I know a lot of people that do this. It's like, oh, we want to go to Disneyland. We can Airbnb our place and then use that money to go. It pays for your trip. Yep. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. I'm loving Hungry Root. Oh my gosh, yes, Jenna, we're loving Hungry Root, too. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready-to-eat meals, kids' snacks and meals, and vitamins and supplements. Well, I took the quiz over on Hungry Root, and oh my gosh, they nailed it. One of the things that I really wanted was I wanted a salmon dish that was quick and easy. I said I wanted to cook food in less than 12 minutes. I was very ambitious. This was one of the choices. And they sent me a miso salmon that, oh my goodness, it blew my mind. And it was easy. It was maybe five ingredients. So tasty, so fresh. I loved it. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Office Ladies listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash OfficeLadies to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash OfficeLadies. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. When you travel, do you ever think like, oh no, I hope I locked up. Did I leave a window open? Things like that. Well, that's why you should invest in Simply Safe Home Security today. Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System in 2024 by the U.S. News and World Report, and Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. Well, you all have heard me talk about Simply Safe because it really is simple and it does make me feel safe. We went through the website and we picked exactly what we needed for our home. That's what I really like is you can customize what you need to fit your living space, you know? I love our Simply Safe. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. 
Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/officeladies. That's simplysafe.com/officeladies. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Okay, we are back and Jim and Karen are arriving in New York. They're getting off the subway and oh my god, Angela. What? Do you have a story about Astor Place? I do not. I want to know, did you see the lady with the baby stroller who gives major side eye to John and Rashida? No. Is she by as they come out of the subway station? As they come out of the subway station, there is a woman with a baby stroller. She is clearly not with us. She's just a lady walking her kid. Living her life. Living her life. It's at 18 minutes, 29 seconds. I need to know who this woman is. I need to hear her story. (laughs) I need to see her face. I need to see it. I took a picture. Oh, good. Show me. Show me. We'll put it in our Insta stories, guys. Office ladies pod. Office ladies pod. Okay, lady. I found it. Here she is. (laughs) She's so annoyed. I love her. She's so over it. She is so over it. Oh, my gosh. So over it. We... I, I, lady with stroller, <laughs> please contact us at Office Ladies Pod. Lady with stroller, we're sorry. Yes, please email us at officeladies at earwolf.com. <laughs> what is she going to say? I just, I, she's like prominently featured in an episode of The Office. Is she an Office fan? What does she remember about that day? Did she recognize them? Because her response is like, who are these guys? Well, Jenna, she wasn't the only one who was ticked off that day because at 20 minutes, 34 seconds, there is a girl in clearly like a party dress and she's hailing a cab. She was not an extra. And I guess they had to make her stop hailing her cab because she was so featured and sign a release. And she was really annoyed because she like missed her cab or something. They talk about about it on the DVD commentary. She was like, I just, you know, I'm sure she's like, I just want to go to my party. What what are these forms? Maybe she's like me, Jenna, and she doesn't like a lot of forms. Okay. Woman with baby stroller, woman hailing a cab, email us. And party dress. In a party dress, we want to hear from you. Okay. Before we move on, I have a little mini deep dive. Please. Okay. So, Jenna, at 1943, Jim mentions that he went to a bar that used to be a church. And I was like, I know exactly what they're talking about. What? The limelight. Remember? I don't know the The limelight. No, I don't know this place. It's on 6th Avenue. Okay. So, when I was interning on Conan O'Brien, you guys, I was... You know, I was a bit of a sad sack. I never went out. New York was so expensive. I didn't know anyone. And a gal I worked with, Debbie Wonder, kind of took me under her wing. And she was like, Angela, you got to get out. And I was like, wah. And she said, there's a great band we're going to go listen to tonight. And I'm pretty sure I wore my Gap denim dress and some kids because <laughs> I knew what New York fashion looked like. Oh, yeah. We show up. By the way, I went with Debbie and her boyfriend. So hi, third wheel. We show up to where the band is playing, and it is inside a Gothic cathedral that is a bar. And Debbie's like, this is a famous New York bar. And I'm like, "Um, lady, that's a church. I can't go inside it because I'll get in trouble with my mom. You can't have a bar in a church. Yes, you can. And this church has the most cool, amazing story. Okay? I'm going to walk you through it really quickly. So it was built in 1844. It was this 
Gothic revival church, huge, beautiful structure. It looked like a medieval church, like from England, you know? And it has the main big church, right? I'm talking cathedral ceilings, the big stained glass. Oh, yeah. It's got a rectory. It's got a sister's house for the nuns. It's got a parish house, a chapel, and a garden courtyard. This is huge. Wait, wait. Is this the one on 6th Avenue with the red door? Yes! Yes. I do know what you're talking about. Okay. Yes. It's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. Yes. Okay. So I guess, you know, it was a very happening church for a long time. But then in the 60s, the neighborhood kind of took a turn. People started moving out to the suburbs. All of a sudden, this big Gothic structure, you know, it was hard to maintain the heating and the repairs and all of that. So they had to sort of repurpose it. At first, they made it into a cultural center and... That sort of went on for a bit. That makes sense, right? Cultural yep. center. Yep. They couldn't keep up with the cost of running the place. So this famous sort of New York like bar owner bought it and people were furious. They were like, you cannot make this church a bar. You can't. Well, he did. And he like tricked it all out. Like he made the sister's house, I guess, into like the shampoo room, you know, like where you get- Shampoo sp- room? I didn't know what it was either, but I guess that's like a party where you get sprayed with foam. I don't know. It what? sounds horrible. I know I, I would get it in my eyes. How can you not? But he made it this big, big, like hipster bar scene. Andy Warhol opened it up on the opening weekend. It was like this big place for music and events from the 80s through the 90s. Then in the 90s, I guess things took a turn- I think crime got bad again. And lady, this party promoter named Michael Alec murdered and dismembered <gasps> this guy at the what? limelight. Yeah, he murdered a guy. And and so then they were like, okay, they close it down. Then they try to like give it a new reopening. They call it the Avalon in 2003. That doesn't really work. People are like done. They're like, you know, get your bar out of the church. We're done. 2007, it permanently closed its doors, which is interesting to me because we filmed this in 2007. Wow. Yeah. Them mentioning that they went to this bar, if we had filmed the following year, they couldn't have done it. Yeah, I think I think the writers all knew about this bar, right? It was famous, a bar inside of a Gothic church, right? All the writers knew about it. I think. But here's the interesting thing. Guess what it is today? Um, not a bar? You're not you're not gonna be able to guess. What you, is it? Well, first of all, the people that bought it restored all of it. It really meant a lot to them to to restore the integrity of the structure, the stained glass, but it is partly a gym called the complete body limelight. So you can lift weights inside the church. And okay. then the chapel is a modern dim sum restaurant called Julan Club. So you can go work out and then get some dim sum. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. I love that. I just found it fascinating because as soon as he said that, Jenna, what do I ever know about any bars or pop culture stuff? Never. Never. Nothing. Never. You know nothing about them. And not only did I know, but I had been there. That's pretty Badass. I know. I went with Debbie and her boyfriend at the time who was a exterminator. Oh. Yeah. And Debbie, it's okay if I say this right. In the cab ride home, you and him started making out and I had to sit awkwardly looking out the window. That sounds like they had a good time. They had a great time. Mom, I'm sorry I went to a bar that was inside a church. Mom, I'm sorry. 
Well, listen, Ange, also during this talking head, Jim says that they think they saw Lorne Michaels. (laughs) And we got a lot of fan questions about that from Angela A., Allie S., Kirsten O., Tyler N., Heather C., and many more all want to know, is the man that walks behind Jim Lorne Michaels? Was that a little cameo joke? No, no, it's not Lauren Michaels. I, I zoomed in. It's definitely, definitely not Lauren Michaels. I like to think that Jim is someone who thinks he recognizes famous people places, but they're just just normal folks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like my sister Tina does that. You know, she'd be like, that's Angelina Jolie. I'm like, why would Angelina Jolie be in the mall in our hometown right now? <laughs> yes, Exactly. Well, you know, another thing that happens here is that Karen kind of confronts Jim. Yeah. And she says, what is going to happen to our relationship if one of us gets this job? If I get this job, will you move to New York to be with me? And Jim is clearly uncomfortable. He's making jokes. He's trying to make jokes. Yeah. But Karen brings it around and she's like, actually, I'm I'm kind of serious. Like after what happened on the beach, do I have a future with you? Because I don't feel like I have a future in Scranton, but I'd like to have a future with you. Well, she just says there's one too many people in Scranton. Yeah. You know, she was like, I was at the beach. And I don't know. He just sort of jokes it off and then grabs her hand and they cross the street. And I'm sure deep down she knows that that he's on the fence. She's got to know it. She's trying to practice good self-care. She is trying to take care of herself here. She's being assertive, but then she's not really reading the signals, which I think are super clear. You don't ever read them when you don't want to see them, though. That's true. Put that on a (laughs) t-shirt. All right. So now it's the next morning and it's interview time. Karen, Jim, and Michael are waiting in the lobby I should own the fact, since I was snarky about the lobby just having a bunch of brown sticks, that there is also a big plant on the other side of it. A big potted plant, everyone. Hey! A little bit of green in the corner. There you go. Mm -hmm. Well, that is nice. It is nice. nice. And I'm sorry I was so snarky about your big brown sticks. (laughs) Well, back at Dunder Mifflin, Dwight has appointed Andy as his number two officially and Andy has accepted and Jenna we do that really cool thing except now it's Dwight where we start on him and we reveal Andy in the corner yes you know that's my favorite I know I know Andy has this talking head and it's at 21 minutes 54 seconds he's saying you know three months ago I was a Cornell grad in anger management but look at me now and he's washing out you know Dwight's mug Jenna can you hear that sink I, yeah. c- I couldn't not laugh because you and I know it's a fake sink and it had that weird tinny sound because the water was going underneath into a bucket. Yes, they had a little pump that would pump water through that faucet, but then it just came down the drain into a bucket. Yeah, there's no and plumbing there. And then it would recycle. There. There's yeah. no plumbing. That's right. They would set it up and take it away. So something you could not do is improvise turning on the sink. Because nothing would come out. (laughs) Or pour anything down the drain because it would just hit the ground. Correct. Correct. Well, now we have the scene where Dwight pulls Pam aside 
He explains he's very impressed by her coal walk. And he would like her to be his secret assistant to the regional manager. And she accepts. Everything about the scene was delightful. I loved every single thing about it. I loved Dwight's bravado and and Pam's just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, like what an idiot, but I'm going to go along with it. Well, I think this is her way of staying connected to Jim. He's all the way in New York, but she has this talking head where she says she learned from Jim. If Dwight ever asks you to accept something in secret, you reply, absolutely, I do. Yeah. So I think throughout this whole episode, when Pam is doing this little bit with Dwight, she is imagining how she's going to get to tell Jim all about it. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, here is Dwight's team as he sees it. Dwight is the regional manager. Dwight is also the assistant regional manager. Andy is his number two because it's political. Pam is the secret assistant to their regional manager. And guess what? In a deleted scene, we find out that Angela is the spy in charge of the secret assistant to their regional manager. (laughs) Oh, and what does that mean? Well, as soon as Pam says... Yeah, absolutely I do, and agrees to be the secret assistant to the regional manager. She leaves, and when she does, the scene plays out. Dwight calls Angela and says, keep an eye on Pam. And Angela's like, done. And then immediately, my little head pops over the partition between accounting and reception, and I just start spying on you. Oh, that's amazing. I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Oh, I wish they'd left that in. I know. It's a fun detail, right? I love that detail. Well, now, lady, we go back to corporate and (sighs) Michael's interview has begun. Andy Buckley is so fantastic in this scene. I mean, Steve is always fantastic. But to to watch Steve as Michael, because Michael's so ridiculous, play off someone who's so believably a corporate person. it, It just was so fun to watch. So my favorite part of this scene with David and Michael is when he asks Michael where he sees room for improvement. <laughs> and Michael's suggestion is that they rename the company altogether. Here, do you, you know his three names, right? His three suggestions? I, I wrote them down. Yeah. Here are the names. Paper Great. Mm-hmm. Great Paper's Our Passion. Mm-hmm. We're Great. Super Duper Paper. Or just Super Duper. Yeah. Any of those, any of those could work. Well, we had a fan question from Rebecca W. She said, were the suggestions Michael gave for a change of name of the company improvised? I checked the script. They were all in there with the exception of Super Duper Paper and Super Duper. (laughs) Those were. (laughs) But there was also way more to this interview scene. And I have to ask you, Angela, are they in the deleted scenes? Because they were so Funny. There are so many deleted scenes for this particular episode, and this scene has several, and they are hilarious. One of my favorite ones is that David says, "What? What do you see in the future?" You know, but he he's meaning about the company. You know, where yes. do, where do you see the future going here? And Michael goes, he goes on about all this stuff. He goes on about how many kids he's going to have and all this stuff. But then he says, also, I think there could be one vitamin that you take for all of these other vitamins, but it's just one. I don't know. And David Wallace goes, you mean a multivitamin? 
And Michael's like, I don't know what they're going to call it. Like, I don't know. Yes. It, it is so funny, but there are great deleted scenes for this episode. That multivitamin thing was in the script and it made me laugh out loud when I read it. It is hilarious. When he's and, like, I don't I don't know what they're going to call it, but that's the idea. And, and and David Wallace's look to him is just like, okay. And he's like, thanks for coming in, Michael. So, you know, Michael feels like he's had a pretty great interview. He's on his way out and he says, oh, you should know that Jan and I are dating again. So I'm going to need to fill out one of those love documents. And David Wallace is like, um, well, you should know that this job you're interviewing for is to replace Jan. And Jenna, all I could think of was like, no, you can't <laughs> tell Michael this kind of information. There is no way this man can hold on to that. You know what it made me think of, Angela, is when he says I need to sign another one of those love documents, I was like, it reminded me in dinner party when Michael explains he's had a vasectomy, but then had it reversed and then had a vasectomy and then had it reversed. I was like, how many of these documents have they been signing? It's like, we're on, we're off. We're on, we're off. And I wonder also if they had dramatic ripping in half of the document. Yes. I have so many questions about the love document. But I agree with you. This news to Michael that the job he's applying for is Jan's job and she doesn't know yet that she's going to be let go. This is a secret that you should not allow Michael to hold. You can't tell Michael any secret. You couldn't say, hey, don't tell anyone, but um, I have toe fungus. Forget it. The next thing out of his mouth would be, I'm so sorry you have toe fungus in front of everyone. Yes. yes. I don't have toe fungus. I was just trying to think of something. I have fungus on my toenails. I know, but you treated it and it's all better. It came back. It did? Yeah. You know, if you wear nail polish long enough and your toenails don't get a good amount of oxygen, you can get in, you know, it's, by the way, everyone, toe fungus is just like on your toenail. It's just like a little white spot. Yeah. That's what those white spots are, everyone. If you're like, what are these white spots on my toenails? When I take off my nail polish, that's toe fungus, y'all. And you can get a special like oil and polish to put on there to get rid of it if you care. Well, my mom always would say every once in a while, just take your toenail polish off and let your toenails breathe. It's good advice. It's not pretty. You're going to have a week of like funky looking yellow toes. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Where are we? Well, we need to go back to Dunder Mifflin because Dwight would like everyone to gather in the conference room. He needs to discuss and introduce the Schrootbuck reward system. <laughs> that was so funny to me. You know what I loved about this? First of all, at 25 minutes, three seconds, Angela's so proud. She's so proud. She has this yes, look. She Dwight just... is calling his first conference room meeting. Yes. She is, can't believe it. But I love how he leads everyone in. He's like, no more meetings, right? Michael had all these useless meetings. Instead, we're going to have lectures. <laughs> yes. And Pam Pam can't wait. She's like, what is he going to do? I can't wait. I can't wait to see what's about to happen. Well, we get in there and we start getting our first lecture. Mm-hmm. And it is about the origin of paper making. Yeah. He starts with a bunch of Tupperware tins full of soil, different types of soil. And he asked the question, what would you say is the most important element in the production of above-ground leafy growth? You probably think it's phosphorus. 
And then Angela secretly shakes her head no. I improvised that. And our camera operator caught it and was like, oh, that's so good. Ken loved it. And he told me to keep doing it. Like I, I had, loved it. Like I obviously knew this speech that Dwight had practiced it for me. I used to love having those moments. I'm sure he practiced it for you. Oh, and yeah. he's killing it. According to you, you're like, he's killing it. Crushing it. By the way, the answer is nitrogen. Per Dwight. Lady, I had to know. Did you look it up? Did you look up phosphorus? You know that website, Quora? Yeah. It's where you you post a question about something and then experts on that subject weigh in. Did you post the question? I didn't post the question. Oh, I got real excited. But years ago, someone posted that exact question. The wording was exact. Exactly what Dwight says. There was an office fan years ago that was like, wait, is this true? So it's really amazing the back and forth from all the people who are not realizing that this is a direct quote from an office episode. It is just soil scientists weighing in. There's charts. There's pages and pages of these scientists debating what is the most important element in the production of above ground leafy growth. And the consensus is nitrogen. Huh. Nitrogen. Way to go, yeah. Dwight. Way yeah. to go. Jenna, do you remember filming the scene? Because I remember the smell. Can we talk about it for a second? We can. There was an earthy smell. Now, you know this room had no real windows. So it's like sitting in a box. Now, it didn't didn't have a full ceiling, but we were sort of trapped in there with smells. <laughs> oh, yeah. And... uh there was a real dirt smell. And then it's in the deleted scenes. You guys don't get to see it. But Dwight actually starts by dumping a whole bunch of trash on the table. I remember that. To talk to everyone about recycling. So we had some earthy, trashy smells going. Yeah, it was intense. We also have the great moment, which is one of my favorite moments, where Stanley does not want to participate. (laughs) He won a shrimp book, but he doesn't want it. No, he doesn't want it. He does not want to participate in any of this. And Dwight is like, you don't want your shrimp book? And he's like, no. And then he offers him like a thousand Stanley Nichols to leave him alone. A billion. A billion Stanley Nichols if you never speak to me again. (laughs) Yes, thank you. It's brilliant. And Dwight's response is he would like to know the conversion rate between Stanley Nichols and True Bugs. And it's the same as um, Leprechauns to Unicorns. Yeah. And then, Jenna, you must have had so much fun because then everyone starts to be like, I'm out of here. I don't want to do this. And Pam is like, hey, pay attention. <laughs> Lady, when I heard that delivery, now this was before I had children. Mm-hmm. But when I heard my voice, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the voice when I have to lay down the law with the kids. When I'm like, listen to me, I've asked three times to brush our teeth. It's time to brush teeth now. Mm-hmm. Hustle, go mm-hmm. to the bathroom. I was like, oh my gosh, that, that is my mom voice. That's my mom voice. That's your mom getting line voice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. For sure. I was shocked. You had it in you all along. (laughs) I did. It was meant to be. Well, there's a nice little moment that I think Phyllis just improvised. And we often did things like this in the background. We just sort of made up our own story if we didn't have dialogue of how we would react to these moments. And she's sleeping. 
27 minutes, 29 seconds. I thought that was an amazing choice. Yeah. An amazing choice. Well, listen, lady, we're about to go back to corporate. We're going to see Karen interview with David, but I think we should take a break. I think we should take a break and come back because Karen is crushing her interview. We need to get to it. She's doing really well. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Well, folks, you know I have a lot of family in Texas, and I just want you to know, if you travel to Texas, there are vast landscapes, cultures, regions, destinations, activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. You can have fun in the sun. Texas has 350 miles of coastline. That's right. Or if you like more of a rugged vacation, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, and the food. Can we talk about the food? Tex-Mex. And barbecue. There's live music, art museums, cowboy experiences. Come on. Right now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-the-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. So you go in there and you click your interests and it'll say, here's where you want to go in Texas. Mm Mm-hmm. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed to connect with candidates faster by scheduling, screening, and messaging. And Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 23 hires were made on Indeed every minute, according to Indeed Data Worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies. Just go to Indeed.com slash OfficeLadies right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash office ladies. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, we are back from break. Karen is being interviewed. Before we get into that, Jenna, I had to look up the limelight one more time because I was pretty sure, and in fact, this is correct, there is a documentary about the history of the limelight, this huge part of New York's culture. I'm sorry to go on and on about it, but I, I I think I want to watch this documentary. Number one, I will be watching that documentary tonight. Number two, you do not need to apologize for your interest in the limelight or for the interesting facts that you shared with us. Because, lady, I want to say something. We got this really nice letter from a fan. And in it, she said, I just need to tell you that you guys do not need to apologize for going off subject. You guys always apologize for it. And I love it. It's a great part of the podcast. And you know what, lady? It got me thinking. That is a thing. Hold on. Soapbox coming out. That is a very common thing that women do. Women apologize all the time for things they don't need to apologize about. And I think we do not need to apologize for our deep dives. We do not need to apologize for the things that interest us or for our banter that comes to us in the moment while making this podcast. 
I don't apologize. I don't apologize. I like how by the end of that speech, you had like an affected way of talking. You were like, I don't apologize. I don't apologize for that either. Well, you know, that has been something I've sort of struggled with, I guess, my whole life. I don't know. I I think I used to say I'm sorry about everything. I don't know. Like, I, I would say I'm sorry about the most ridiculous things. Like, my chair would squeak. I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. Or I'd reach for a glass of water the same time someone else would. I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. And um, Yes. Or like, how many times have you been walking down the street and someone bumps into you and you say, oh, sorry. What? I'm sorry for taking up the space my body requires to walk down the street. You walked into me. Why am I apologizing? It's a thing that women do. We do. I mean, it's not just women, but there's this, I, I just, I noticed it when we got that nice letter. I thought, this is the coaching I needed. This is good. Well, yes. I appreciate that letter. I think, <laughs> I think I probably had read a comment that probably wasn't healthy where this guy said we talked about appetizers for eight minutes and he wanted to drive his car into a pole. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. But too. you know what? You know what I want to say to that man? Listen, mister, I'm sorry. Sometimes we're going to talk about appetizers and we're going to talk about bars that used to be in a church and pockets and Clementine Paddleford. And you know what? I really want to encourage you to do with love, hit fast forward. Angela, you are right. You don't have to listen to anything you don't want to, but we also get to talk about what we want. Right? Yeah. Without apology. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And good day. (laughs) And good day to you. (laughs) And now Karen is crushing her interview. 28 minutes, 58 seconds. I thought she was going to get the job. Well, she should get the job. I mean, really, it was between her and Jim. I, I think it was theirs to lose. And David Wallace clearly has like a man crush on Jim. Well, we noticed this back when David threw his party and he wanted to go shoot hoops with Jim. I mean, I'm, I don't want to get my soapbox out again so soon. Oh, no. But this happens in the male corporate culture. There's all these ways and activities that men have to bond between men. And it's been difficult for women to, you know, get in there. They've got their golfing and their shooting of the hoops and, you know, yeah. Well, while this is going on, these interviews. I just said I was sorry to get out my soapbox. Oh, my God. I did did it again. I just apologized. (laughs) I can't stop it. We can't stop it. We will stop. We'll try. We'll try. Okay, so listen, while Karen is interviewing, Michael goes to Jan's office. Mm -mm. Nope, nope, he should have just kept on walking. He immediately tells her that she's going to be fired. She's being replaced. So, of course, Jan storms in to Karen's interview and starts yelling at him. She says, hey, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Like, just right away. And David is so calm. We talked about this last week with Paul, where Paul really admired David for being so pointed and calm during this moment. And he says, Jan, this is long overdue. Long overdue. You've shown no interest in your job lately. We can never get a hold of you. Very erratic behavior. Like, Like your head's not here. You're not here. He calls her unstable. Yeah. And then Michael's like, you're unstable. And then David's like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? And Michael's like, never mind, we're all unstable. What's happening? 
<laughs> Michael also insists he didn't tell her. Yeah. While, it wasn't me. While hiding behind the partition. And I, yes. I didn't say anything. Well, Jan asks if this is because of her new boobs. Because Michael loves them and she doesn't care. Yeah. He loves them. That's all that matters to her. Well, then she's being escorted out of the office. She's got a bunch of stuff. She's she got- hugs Hunter. Her whole scene with Hunter is brilliant. She's like, good luck with the band. Don't let them change you here. <laughs> it's so good. Well, she drops a bunch of her stuff on the ground, and Hunter and Michael are trying to help her pick it up. And Lady, did you know that was not supposed to happen? I did know that. I did know that because <laughs> they talk about it in the DVD commentary. Melora said she had this box full of like what was Jan's belongings, right? And it was sort of a awkward, different shaped items and, and a few things spilled out. And Ken did not yell cut. He just let the scene play out. And Michael and Hunter, everyone just stayed in the moment. They're trying to help her put things back. And Melora said they actually had a hard time getting everything to fit back in. And that's why that played out so long. But everyone's reactions are perfect. David's like, what's happening? And then you have Jim and Karen. That was all unscripted. I love stuff like that. I love that. And you know, it reminds me, Angela, when I've had to do scenes where I have to carry a lot of stuff. A lot of times they'll give you like a suitcase that's empty or they'll give you a bag and it doesn't really have much in it. And I had to shoot this scene where I was coming through the door and I had all this junk. And I said, will you make it real? Yeah. Because I think that if I'm really struggling with it, if I'm not pretending to struggle with it, it'll just be better. And I swear every time I would do the scene, some other insane thing would happen. And it was so much better than if I was faking it. Yeah. And so because these are the moments, right? Yeah. This was a real life moment and everyone rolled with it. And it was so funny. It's so funny. But you're right. Those real moments that that the camera captures when we're playing make-believe. Like, I always think about that famous scene on Friends where they're trying to get that sofa up the stairwell. And Ross is yelling, pivot, pivot. <laughs> And they're all holding the sofa. Like, these are these moments I love because it's like real life. But Melora did say one thing. She said, if you notice, if you watch the scene, the whole time we're picking up items and putting them back in the box, you do not see my face because I bent over as far as I could so my hair would hide my face because I am laughing so hard. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to go back and look at that. Yeah. Well, Michael then tells David, hey, just let me know about the job. Let me know when you know. And David is like, you're not getting the job. Yeah. And so then, of course, Michael is like, I withdraw myself from consideration. Do you accept my withdrawal? David's like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And 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 then Michael's like, but do I get to keep my job at Scranton? And David's like, yes. And he goes, good, because that's all I ever really wanted. Well, speaking of Scranton, um, Michael's going to be in for a surprise because Andy and Dwight are painting Dwight's new office, Michael's old office, soon to be office again, black. They're painting all the walls black. Well, Michael's going to be really surprised because 
He also, in a deleted scene, told Dwight, don't do anything to my office for one month out of sort of like mourning, like don't touch anything for one month to honor my absence. Mm. And Dwight immediately starts painting it black. We had a lot of questions about how we did this. They did not paint the real walls. They brought in other fake walls that were black. Yeah. So we did not paint the walls that were Michael's office. They made dummy walls. And then they could take them down. Yes. And the old walls were right behind. Yes, very easily. But they were really painting. Yeah. And they had different panels of these fake walls that they would paint throughout this scene. But um, yeah, it was very easy to reset it back to the original Michael's office. Well, Jenna, back in New York, one of the things we didn't talk about was Jim and Karen's reaction to Jan's big meltdown. I mean, Karen's like, wow, that was really self-destructive. And and Jim is like, I kind of feel bad for her. Yeah, Karen does not feel bad for her. Yeah. Karen's like, "Um, I don't know. I think... I, I, she's not having any sympathy for Jan. No, Karen is done. <laughs> she is done with these folks. Well, speaking of done, Jim still has to go into his interview. And I thought this was interesting. Uh, Jim was like, hey, you know, if you want to take off, I can just, you know, meet you later. And Karen kind of jumps on it. She's like, yeah, actually, I wanted to meet some friends downtown for lunch. Do you mind? Bye. Now, I didn't, I didn't see that as like... Weird. That that seemed like what, you know, if she's just sitting in a lobby, just waiting for him and she does have friends who are eating, like, couldn't she go meet them and, and then he come after? I don't know. I'm just imagining like if Lee and I had gone to New York and we were both going for an important meeting in the same building and my meeting was first and he had to wait for me, I would just be like, I'll wait for you so that I'm the first face you see after your meeting and you can tell me all about it. That's so sweet. <laughs> That's so sweet. That's so sweet. Clearly, I'm like, okay, meet me for lunch. I'll be having my muscles. Bye. <laughs> Good luck, babe. See you in a bit. I don't know. I just sort of like, if I don't have anywhere that I have to be. Now, listen, I do get it. She's in New York for a brief period of time. Maybe this is her only chance to see these friends. That's what I thought. I thought, you know, she had friends there she never gets to see and they're like when you're done with your interview meet us for lunch and she's like oh my god yeah but now now jan has had this whole meltdown and maybe things the timing of the interviews got pushed back a little and she's gonna miss lunch and i maybe i don't know but i mean think about that i'm like thinking forward like so now when jim gets out of this big interview he's not gonna have karen alone he has to walk into a restaurant with her and all her friends and How'd your interview go? Good. We can't talk about it right now, though. I don't know. This is a big deal. It's a big interview. I think there's there's room for like intimate support. I don't know. Well, they're clearly not meant to be together. Well, I don't know. I think Pam would have waited. I think Pam would have waited, too. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And I think Jenna Fisher would have waited. I would have waited, too. Angela's on the fence. Angela's on the fence. It depends on the restaurant and how bad you want the job. (laughs) Well, listen, now we cut to the car ride back to Scranton with Jan and Michael. And lady, this reminded me of Jan's car moment in cocktails. She falls apart in a car ride, guys. 
What is it about car rides and Jan? They're, you know what? Is it because the cameras are tiny and Jan forgets that she's on camera and she? this is like her confessional is the car? Best stuff comes from Jan in a car. I think it's a couple's thing. I really do. Because I think you hold it together while you're at the party or the school assembly or the soccer match or shopping at Ikea, wherever you are, and something goes down. You hold it in and then you get in the car. <laughs> And then you either let each other have it or you start laughing or one of you cries. Like, that's the moment where you're like, oh, my God. You are right. We used to. I had a group of friends when I was, like, starting out here in comedy. And, like, if we were out somewhere and we saw a couple kind of have a little tiff moment, like at a bar or something, we'd all whisper, car ride home, car ride home. Like, it is not going to go well. Well, I love it. I can't get enough of Jan in the car. I can't get enough. She starts crying. She's like, it's these painkillers they gave me after my boob job. And then she's like, oh, wait, this could work. Like her emotions are going up and down. She's like, I could wear stretch pants and wait for you to come home at 515. Yes, she invites herself to move in with Michael. Yeah. And Michael is like, what? Oh, well, he, come on. He walked himself into that. He's like, I guess you could move in with me in my condo. I guess I could get it back. I'd probably get a negative review on my eBay account. (laughs) But it's like at the beginning of this episode, he asks all of the ladies to help him not get back together with Jan. And it ends with them moving in together. Yeah. And she doesn't have a job and she's spiraling. It's a lot. Well, Michael comes back into the office He announces he has withdrawn his name from contention. He notices that his office is now painted black. Mm -hmm. I liked this bit. He tells Ryan to go get him a coffee and Ryan said he doesn't do that stuff anymore. And he says, no, it's for me, bimbo. Kids. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh, Ryan is about to have his moment. And this is when Pam asks, did Karen get the job? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Someone's real curious. Michael has a whole speech here that is sort of heartbreaking. He says, yeah, so I'm going nowhere. Never going to leave. This place is going to be the hospital where I was born, my house, my old age home, my graveyard for my bones. And the camera pans across everyone's faces like this isn't good news for anybody. Yeah, it's true. And then Dwight's back at his desk. This is a sweet moment. I love these sweet moments between Pam and Dwight, where he thanks Pam for serving with great dignity, and she salutes him, and he salutes her back. Yeah. It's kind of their version of the air high five. Well, you know, Dwight goes on to say eventually that Pam is his best friend. Yeah. You know? know. It's so sweet. Well, this is something that probably most people didn't catch, but at 35 minutes, 34 seconds... In the background in accounting, Brian, as Kevin sort of improvises this moment when Michael's saying that he's back and he's like doing all that weird stuff. He's like, I'm back, right? Yes, yes. It's good. I'm back. Anyway, Kevin sort of leans over to Angela and Brian improvised this. He was like, so wait, did he get the job? And I just shake my head. I'm like, (laughs) no. And you can't hear what he's saying. I just remembered these little moments like that. And uh, we just were having our own scene back there. I love those. 
We're always acting. You never know. You never what the know. What the camera's getting. You never know. Well, now we go to Jim's interview. He's a shoe in. David He's Wallace got, is like I mean, falling all over him. Yeah. He, I mean, David Wallace should have started the interview by saying, You're hired. David Wallace should have started the interview by saying, Will you be my best friend? It's so true. Everybody wants Jim to be their best friend. He's a very he, likable guy. He's a good guy. Best friend. Yeah. He's a, like- he's a great guy. Yeah. So David's asking him a few questions, and he says, what is your favorite thing? What do you like most about the Scranton office? And it's right at this moment that Jim opens up his little folder, and there is like a note of encouragement from Pam, along with a little yogurt lid that she has saved since Office Olympics. You know what that note says to me? What? I would have waited for you until after your interview. (laughs) I wouldn't have gone and met my friends for a boozy lunch somewhere. Exactly. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. You matter. And what happens to you matters to me. Yeah. And uh, Jim looks at that and he says his favorite thing about the Scranton office were the friendships. And that's when David asks him, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Well, Jim is rattled now. He had all these answers ready to go. I'm sure he had prepared for this interview, but now Pam is there with him. Yeah. And we flash back to the beach. And we hear Jim tells Pam why he left Scranton. He acknowledges he's never really come back. And then Pam, talk about some Pam sass. I thought this was super ballsy. She's like, well, I wish you would. Whoa! Yeah, well, now we sort of hear Jim's interview. We hear, like, he's distracted, he's making jokes. We cut to a Pam talking head where she explains she hasn't really heard anything Jim probably got the job. You know, there's no reason for him not to get the job. And she's uh, she's really like, you can see her trying to process it and stay really positive. She's all day. She's been trying to stay really positive about this and convincing herself that her and Jim are friends. This is in the past. The beach was just closure. Mm-hmm. That was closure. And, you know... She says, we just never got the timing right, and that's okay. And then Jim walks in the room. I mean, she's so surprised to see him. Yeah, he interrupts the talking head. And asks her if she wants to have dinner. She says, yeah. And then he's like, it's a date. Jenna, many, many people have talked about how great you are in that moment. And you are. You are. You are so good in that moment. So many emotions go across your face and your eyes tear up. Ken Kwapa said you made him cry. Well, here's the thing. I owe that moment to Ken Kwapas. And I'll tell you why. A lot of people wrote in and wanted to know what was going through my head during that scene when Jim finally asked Pam out. It's, it's crazy because... Ken Quapis, he was a type of father figure to us, right, Angela? Mm-hmm. When he was on the podcast, he explained that his technique is to love people into their best work. He's just a very gentle, kind soul. He's so, yes. so kind. 
I'm going to cry just thinking about it. I think, and I don't know, but I think we got that on the first take. I think what you are watching is the first take. Oh, wow. Because we had kind of planned it out with the camera when it was going to swish over and when it was going to come back to me. So in that moment when the camera swishes back to me, I was actually looking at Ken Quapis and he had tears in his eyes and that made me tear up. And we just shared this moment, this this private moment of acknowledgement for this journey of this character. And he smiled at me in a way that a parent smiles at you when they're proud of you. Listen, if Ken Quapis looked at me with tears in his eyes smiling, I would disintegrate because he's just, it's like your dad looking at you like that. Yes. Like, yes. Like you did it, kiddo. You did it. Yes. Yes. And, and I don't even know if that performance could have been there with any other director. Oh, frankly. I don't think so. I mean, as that much was as- a moment between Ken and I, that was about so much about my personal Jenna journey with Ken Quapis on this show. From the very first day. Yeah. Well, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. And I have one question for you and all the fans out there. What? Did Jim frickin' leave Karen in New York? They rode together. He drove back alone. What the F? Well, I'll tell you. So, first of all, there were actually two versions in the script for the ending of this episode. There was this version Mm -hmm. with Jim interrupting my talking head. And then there was a second version, which we shot. And in the script, it says, shoot both versions. It's not in the deleted scenes. What is it? Okay, it's not in the deleted scenes, but we shot it. So in the second version... You hear voiceover of Jim throwing his interview with David, but it's even more. It's like he's really cracking jokes. He's not taking it seriously at all to the point that David actually says, do you even want this job? Oh, that would have made me uncomfortable. Yeah, it really tips it a little bit more than what you see. Meanwhile, while all that's happening, you see Pam leaving for the day. She doesn't do a talking head. She's just leaving for the day. She gets in the elevator. She goes down the elevator. And then when the elevator doors open, Jim is standing there. And she says, you're back. And he says, yeah. Do you want to go to dinner? Mm. And Pam says, yeah, I do. And she walks out of the elevator and Jim pushes the camera back into the elevator. And as the doors are closing, They walk off together, and he puts his arm around her, and they smile at each other. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 (laughs) no. I don't like it. I don't like it. I like the way it is. Well, I touched base with Dave Rogers, Mm -hmm. who said that that scene exists. That alternate, he's like, I have that in an archive. He's like, I think we should throw that up sometime. You could see it if you want. But he also said that it was never, ever part of the cut of the show. They always had the one in that you see now, and then they would play the alternate for people. Everyone voted for what you see. But they also shot in New York an ending where you see Karen crying (gasps) because Jim broke up with her. And I'm sure Dave Rogers has that. I picture Dave Rogers having this hard drive in a vault, and it's like Mission Impossible. It's like ding, 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 ding. 
with all these codes and traps because he is holding on to some serious office footage. Well, listen, now we find out who does get the job. We know it's not Jim. We know it's not Michael. We're assuming it's Karen. But guess what? Someone else interviewed and they had an MBA. Yes, an unknown MBA. Masters of Business Administration. Is that right? (laughs) Don't know. Not sure. Masters of Business something with an A. Guys, it's Ryan. Ryan the Temp will not be getting your coffee anymore. He's going to corporate. Well, we talked about this last week with Paul because a lot of people wanted to know, why does Ryan get the job? And you know, lady, Dave Rogers told me they did shoot an alternate scene where Karen gets the job. Where she's crying in New York and then the phone rings and they offer her the job. So I just think it's very, very interesting how they left options on the table for this big finale. I think maybe in some cases they were still debating who gets the job. How do Jim and Pam get together? Well, yeah, it seems like they wanted to give themselves some choices. But we also know what was going on at this time, which is that Rashida booked her role on Parks and Rec. And she was going to be starting that job. So, A, they needed, you know, finally Jim and Pam to be together without any kind of distraction. And also, Rashida just got a great new job. Yeah, so she she can't be Mm -mm. Michael's boss at corporate. No, no, she's going to be over at Parks and Rec. And I think there were a lot of story endings that had wrap-ups that didn't make it to air because it was such a big episode. One of them I loved was there's a scene where Jan is moving in. It's moving in day. There's a moving truck. There's like guys and she's barking orders at them in front of the condo. And Michael's just watching it all in horror. He's like, oh, crap. What have I done? And it's such a good scene. Oh, my gosh. They had to rent that location and shoot that scene, and then it didn't even make it in the episode. Yeah, I know. I know. But boy, is it going to set up some good stuff like dinner party. Oh, yes. Dinner party. I am so excited for that episode. I'm so excited for season four. I just watched the dinner party bloopers, and it got me so excited because we laughed our butts off. Oh, I can't wait to talk about it. Well, guys, this rounds out season three, and we will see you soon with season four. Ampat. That's four in Indonesian. Quatre. That's four in French. Do you want me to say four in Spanish? Sure. (laughs) Quatro. Ampat, quatro, quatre. Did I say it right in French? You did. I-V. That's four in Roman numerals. (laughs) See you in season Ampat. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Office Ladies. Office Ladies is produced by Earwolf, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey. Our producer is Cody Fisher. Our sound engineer is Sam Kiefer. And our associate producer is Ainsley Bubico. Our theme song is Rubber Tree by Creed Bratton. For ad-free versions of Office Ladies, go to stitcherpremium.com. For a free one-month trial of Stitcher Premium, use code OFFICE.
Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.